electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. Proceed with caution. Walmart and Home Depot both giving disappointing outlooks for the year. Walmart CFO warning the consumer is, quote, very pressured. One of my guests says there will be no landing until there's a hard landing. Yields behaving very much that way today. She is here to make the case. Plus, why none of this has been bad news for the stock market. Our market guest insists it can continue despite today's sell-off, and he's answering your questions, too. Tweet us at CNBC The Exchange. Tweet me. We'll try to show them. And it's all about rates, retail, and risk on and earnings exchange. What to watch and how to position on three key names about to report. But first, let's get the latest on this sell-off. Dom Chu is back with those numbers. It's not the kind of Fat Tuesday partygoers would want. I mean, the bulls want some kind of a little positivity, and you're not getting it today in the markets. We are right near session lows. It's not far off from there, but for the Dow Industrials are down about 529 points, off about 1.5%, 33,297. 4,016 for the S&P 500. Now, the reason why it's important, we're getting back towards that 4,000 level. It's been a down day all day. At the highs of the session, we were down 27 points in the S&P, down about 71 at the low. So, again, tilting towards that lower end of things, off 1.5%. And not too bad of a similar percentage loss here for the NASDAQ Composite, 11,563, 224 points down, about 1.9% to the downside. So generally speaking, we're within the realm of reason. No real market underperformers in this trade so far today. If you want to talk thematically, it has to be about that retail, right? It's the earnings reports that we saw from Walmart and Home Depot. A little bit more mixed for Home Depot. Generally positive for Walmart. But both of these companies had outlooks for the future quarters and year that came in kind of more tepid and below analyst expectations. Home Depot shares, Dow component down 6% right now. Walmart, also a Dow component, but tilted towards consumer staples, actually up fractionally about one third of one percent. Meanwhile, on the consumer staple side, General Mills out with a very positive earnings report for quarterly results, and it boosted its forecast. So those shares up about five and a half percent. So watch General Mills and that parade today. It's a tough tape. Interest rates you mentioned as well, multi-month highs for many parts of the yield curve right now from the shorter maturity stuff like six-month T-bills, which are currently yielding over 5%, two-year note yields, five, 10-year note yields, 30-year long bond yields, all moving towards multi-month highs. And pay attention, Kelly, to that big two-year note yield that we're seeing. It's been kind of moving higher, steadying out a little bit here. But still, if you take a look at these levels right now, 4.71%, Kel, we've got, of course, a $42 billion two-year auction. I'm sure you guys are yes. going to be breaking down shortly. I'll send things back over to 472 you. 4.72 is the highest uh, since. So, Dom, by the way, what kind of Lent guy are you? You do chocolate? You do uh, social media fasting? So, so here's what I, I, I've been generally positive. So I try to do something positive as opposed to giving something up. Uh-huh. So in the past, I've said, hey, you know what? I'm going to give someone a compliment every day. Oh for the duration of Lent. 
We'll see I'm how happy it goes to take time. them. I will, volu- I will volunteer. I will give them to you as well. I try to drive the speed limit, by the way, and it's very, very I difficult. I wish you luck with that, yeah. with, with all the kids you've gotten in yeah. tow. So. <laughs> Thank you, Dom. You got it. Dom Chu. Walmart and Home Depot both warning today they are bracing for a slowdown in consumer spending. Not a surprise to my next guest who says we're much closer to recession, and the longer we stay in this no landing zone, the more painful the hard landing could become. Joining me now is Francis Donald, chief economist and strategist at Manulife Investment Management, CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leesman is here as well. Francis, welcome back, by the way. How's it all going? It's going okay. Hanging on. Thanks yeah. for asking. Hanging in there. Uh, appreciate it. Steve, let's start with you. Can you kind of wind back the clock for us? Why today, where we didn't really have much data except kind of, you know, I mean, was it the ISN? Why all of a sudden are we seeing Fed funds futures break out and yields popping? Well, I think it's because of the opposite of what your guest is going to say, which is the strength of the consumer. Um, you, you had uh, two things happen last week. One was uh, the retail sales and other data came in stronger than expected, and the inflation data was stickier than expected. So what I did over the weekend, Kelly, because that's the kind of fun that I have, <laughs> is I looked at the uh, high-frequency uh, retail sales data, and we get two sources of that. We have a, a Chase a credit card spending. They look at their, their credit card data, and they make it available on a seven-day average with a four-day lag. And it's still pretty strong in February. If you look at it, we had a little bit of a dip down that looks like I'm not sure what to do with that dip down there. But overall, look at the level of February. And it's still above that swoon we had in in, 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 uh, November and December. So it's still running 3.9% year over year up. And then I looked at the Bank of America credit card data which is nice because it gives you the full year, full month end there. And that Bank of America credit card data is up 5% wow. month over month. That made me sort of think that that the uh, a, a retail sales report we got from the government, which everybody said might have been a seasonal adjustment problem, was not a seasonal adjustment problem because it's showing up in the credit and debit spending of Bank of America's credit card. This is actual data that they're looking at. And and so it, we don't have February for them, but it shows the consumer is, is going. And then I'll show you the tab which is what uh, Kelly brought up, which is take a look at the Fed Funds futures market. And we're now, I believe, at 516 on the January Fed Funds rate. And that is an all-time high. And maybe most important about that is that's two or three points above, well, call it uh, two points exactly, or three points, above where the Fed is at 512.5 for the year end. So, so that shows that the market now is maybe a touch more aggressive than the Fed. And you'll remember, Kelly, that that was an 80 basis point gap Crazy. between the Fed and the, and, and the market pricing uh, a little over a month ago. Huge, huge, just unbelievable on the back of all of that data. And Steve, if you think move. your weekend was impressive, Frances was doing all this on maternity leave. So, you know, and she's, she's hitting the ground running here. Uh, Frances, so... I am not complaining. <laughs> I, what else do I have to do but crunch data over the weekend? <laughs> no, same. Frances, tell us why, in light of all of this, um, you, you don't buy this as a sign of persistent strength. And the market, by the way, is, is coming to a different conclusion right now. Well, apart from bottles and laundry, I too, Steve, was looking at the high frequency data for the consumer. And I don't disagree with you. The U.S. consumer is strong right now, but we don't run forecasts. We don't run money off of where the consumer is now. So my follow-on question to that is why is the consumer so strong? Well, they've dipped into excess savings, which are dwindling. Their savings rate is really, really low. There's not a lot more there. And they are re-leveraging very aggressively. So that credit card data you're talking about, that's not actually a good sign. That's a consumer that's saying, in order to keep up with my appetite, I have to take on more debt. 
And here's the problem. The problem is all of these elements sustaining this good data, which I agree may have some seasonality, may not, is that when we look forward over the next six months, these things that propel the consumer are just not sustainable. We are seeing senior loan officers saying that they are cutting back on consumer loans really aggressively. Mm. Excess savings are dwindling. And a lot of these pandemic programs and a lot of the government support that's been in place falling back. So my issue is not now. Now there is no landing. We're not in a recession today. It's that if you walk through what Steve is describing here, it means that the Fed will not be cutting in the next six months, may have to raise further. Right. That's why you're seeing rates go. The problem is next year, where does this leave us? Not in a great position. And let's see if I can just interrupt for a moment. Let's get to Rick Santelli. We had a two-year auction. As I mentioned, we're nearly at levels for the two-year that we haven't been at since 2007. So how was demand amid all this? It better have been strong. Rick, how'd it go? You know what? It was a bit below average. I gave it a C minus, Charlie minus. Uh, the yield at the Dutch auction, 4.673. That was mainly the reason we're below average. It tailed just a bit, less than a basis point. And if you look at all the metrics, they were all near 10 auction average. A couple stuck out in my mind. Uh, indirect bidders, those are foreign entities. We like to pay attention to those at a time where, of course, we're in QT and we're looking to see what foreign interests we're going to continue to buy, and they still are buying. The other one that really caught my attention was uh, dealer activity. Down at 15%, 10 auction average is closer to 20. That was the lowest percentage since April of last year, not that far that long ago, but it does underscore on a day where we traded 4.72% intraday, which equals the high yield close from November that uh, Kelly alluded to at 4.72%. We want to continue to monitor that because it could be the first maturity that's going to take out its fall high yield close at a time where everything is flashing red that concerns the Fed in the marketplace. And Steve Leisman is right. The market's always right. And what it's done lately, it's assimilated some of the recent data, really, since February 3rd's jobs report, and it really upped the game. All right. Kelly, back to you. And thank you, Rick. Steve, let's turn back to you, kind of res respond to both of these. And Rick and I were talking to Dave Rosenberg on Friday and, and kind of all singing from the same hymnal about Francis's point about sort of the slowdown. So it's really, really interesting to see yields going the other way. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a seasoned craps player, and I know how to play on the come, which is the most important way to play in the hot, and the best odds you have in the casino. Um, but I, I'm a little concerned about that because, first of all, um, the idea that uh, we have some additional use of credit, which is, uh, in some cases, it is worrisome. But I was just looking at foreclosures and bankruptcies, and they're not even up to the rate we had before the pandemic. They remain very low. So broad signs of credit stress are not there. There are some in there, I will concede to Francis. So I'm not going to make a big deal about that. But I have job growth and I have wage gains. And ultimately, what determines how much people spend is that. And I want to tell you, Kelly, and I'd love to hear Francis' response to this. Of all the information I heard today on the earnings reports, the one that made me the happiest was the one from Walmart saying they're getting their inventories uh, under control. Because if we're going to have a recession, we're going to have a major uh, readjustment or realignment of inventory levels. And that's one of the big things that causes recessions. And if the big retailers and the big companies are getting their inventories under control and they can do so without a drastic move, 
I think we can avoid a recession. All right. And I turn to you, Francis, also quoting from the CFO who said the consumer is still very pressured. Balance sheets are running thinner. Savings rates are declining. That's why we take a pretty cautious outlook. Uh, but do we take, Francis, his, uh, his reading of the same data that we're arguing about as new information? Or do we take the fact that the shares have now turned positive on the session? Uh, investors kind of liking what Steve's talking about, that for now they look okay. Look, let's go back to basics. What are the coincidence and lagging indicators in a recession? Well, going into recessions, we always see strong job growth, pretty good consumer spending. These are not leading indicators. They're lagging and coincident. So when we talk about, well, you know what, we're probably not going to see a recession, we have to discredit some of the leading indicators like tightening lending standards, the surge in food and energy costs. And I simply can't look at those data and say, well, we have to discredit all of those, particularly because they're the leading ones. But if you take a step back, what does it mean if we're not in a recession now? And what does it mean if the consumer's strong? It means that the Fed cannot pause or cut even as we have segments of the economy that are declining. And it also means that those inflationary pressures from the demand side are not going to cool to the same extent. So we're all talking about growth as one of the reasons that these rates are moving higher. But I think it comes back to the inflation story, yeah. which is in this outlook, the no landing outlook, it actually means we're probably going to see higher inflation and a later harsher downturn in 2024. Yes. That's the repricing we're seeing in this environment. Absolutely. Rick, I'll give you the final word. As I was thinking the same thing Francis is talking about. If we are going to see even higher rates, maybe even a harder landing down the road, what's the yield curve telling us? Is it, is it in, in keeping with, with that hypothesis or uh, how, how's it looking on the back of today's moves? Well, lately, many are asking me if these yield curve inversions have bottomed out. Right. And their main reason for asking is, is that we've switched gears in the long maturities. It seems to be paying more attention to hotter inflation to history than the slowing to the economy that's being done to slow down inflation by the central bank. So to that end, if I had to pick one thing to pay most attention to, because I still believe we're going to see a slowdown slash recession, it's that the consumer... We talk about how great he's doing. I see him in debt, and I think ultimately indebtedness is going to be one of the big issues along with money supply in the U.S. dropping dramatically, even though it's picked up globally. All right. We'll leave it there, everybody. Thank you. Rick Santelli, Steve Leisman, and Francis Donald today. Francis, congratulations. Seriously. Uh, don't miss Steve's interview, by the way, with St. Louis Fed President James Bullard tomorrow morning on Squawk Box, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, oh, you never want to miss a James Bullard interview. <laughs> let's just put it that way. And let's dive further into these results now from Home Depot and Walmart. Both names posting weak or cautious, shall we say, outlooks for the year ahead. Does this basically tell investors to put retail on the back burner for now? Let's ask UBS retail analyst Michael Lasser, who joins me. Michael, what's the big takeaway for you? There's two big takeaways. Number one, that the consumer is showing signs of being more uh, choiceful, decisive with what they're electing to buy. Uh, it was quite Con, uh, quite a contrast between Walmart that posted uh, nearly a 9% comp and Home Depot that, that posted a minus 0.3% comp shows you those that dichotomy right now. The other key is that the large retailers are leaning in and taking this uncertain time as an opportunity to invest more and leverage their already sizable advantage so such that whatever the economic environment is, the companies are going to come out of it in a much better position than they were in heading into it. What do you mean Those by two key. sure? And, and, and again, you know, just so people caught that, you know, we're, we're talking about 
them investing, kind of getting more leverage for the future. Do you mean that in the balance sheet sense or in the broader sense of sort of in terms of their business models? So where, where their investments are as of late are in areas like uh, labor. They're making wage investments. Both retailers have announced billion-dollar wage investments in the last several weeks. They're investing in areas like supply chain. Uh, they're investing in areas like automation. So as we come out of this, whatever we're in over the next uh, several quarters, Home Depot and Lowe's are going to be in a very good position because a lot of other retailers have not been able to make these similar investments. And the Darwinism of retail is going to take over. The strong are going to survive and they're going to be in a much better situation. So in other words, while some people might react to this and go, you know what, it's an uncertain year. I'm just going to kind of, you know, back off of the retailers. You would say, no, now's the time to lean into the stronger ones. Definitely back off some of the weaker players. Um, who, who does that bring to mind? I mean, for instance, TJX reporting tomorrow, they're traditionally considered very, very strong. Um, who in your coverage universe do you think is maybe not well positioned for the, for the climate we're in? Well, two of the retailers that are well positioned are Home Depot and Walmart. They, they offer great balance in a portfolio, Walmart being more defensive, more stable, more steady, uh, Home Depot being a bit more offensive, a bit more interest rate sensitive. Owning both of those stocks would be a good natural hedge for what sort of whatever sort of economic environment we're going to be in. Who's not well positioned? It's really those retailers that are barely holding on, the Bed Bath & Beyonds of the world, who are, have been challenged coming into this situation. It's only gonna get worse, but that is gonna play into these large, well-positioned retailers who are gonna be able to gain share at their expense. So uh, another retailer that comes to mind who, who should benefit from that is Target. And we like Target a lot at this level as well. Interesting. And we're showing Bed Bath, by the way, under $2. So that's significant to watch. So shares are down 10% this morning. Target's down 3%. Let me end it by asking about this one. A lot of people have emphasized they've kind of been the weaker of the big box ones post-pandemic here. But you think they could still capitalize on share gains. Uh, final comment. Why do you think, I don't know if right now is exactly the moment. Maybe we need to wait and hear from them on earnings. Um, but you think they, they can do okay this year? I do. I think their inventory is going to be in a much better position than it was last year. I think they're working on their customer experience in areas like drive up, online fulfillment, uh, in introducing new products and new brands. And there really is no better retailer who stands to get a benefit from the likes of Bed Bath, Tuesday Morning, Party City, all of these retailers closing stores. Their, their customer overlap, their assortment overlap, is greater than a lot of other retailers. So Target's a way to play that. Great point. Wayfair, by the way, uh, on Thursday, we just showed that stock under pressure. They're kind of trading down all the home exposed names here. Michael, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for your time. Good to see you, Doug. Michael Lasser with UBS. And tonight, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan is on Mad Money with Jim Cramer, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we will definitely stay tuned for that one. Coming up, another check on the health of the consumer, this time from one of the world's largest hotel companies. Let's get the fuller picture here. The CEO of Wyndham Resorts and Hotels joins me on the state of travel demand in the U.S. and globally. The stock is up 250 percent from its pandemic lows. Plus, could 2023 be the year we see a slowing economy, slowing earnings growth, but a healthier stock market? We'll get some picks from one money manager who says the market bottom might already be in. As we head to break, here's a look at the markets. Broadly speaking, watch the far right of your screen there. Yields. The Dow is down 1.6%. Same for the S&P. NASDAQ down 2%. Russell down 2.5%. 393. That is a new high 
right now, 10-year note uh, going back for this year, probably going back till November. The exchange is back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to the exchange. Stocks near session lows. Dow's down 562 as higher rates are pressuring the market. Now, despite this, stocks have gotten off to a solid start for the year. And my next guest says this will likely be an inverse of 2022. We had a slowdown in the economy and earnings, but maybe a healthy stock market. Joining me now is Jeff Crumpleman, chief investment strategist and head of equities with Mariner Wealth Advisors. Good to see you again, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you, Kelly. Good to see you. You know, do you still feel that way after? I mean, it's just a couple of hours of trading, but, um, you know, it looks like maybe there's finally some catch up going on here with higher rates. Today has not changed my mind. No. And you couldn't have said it better. That's we do think that 23 will likely be the inverse of 22. And, you know, it is this is a period where we might finally get that slowdown, Um, although that slowdown appears a bit elusive uh, right now. Earnings may come in a little bit. And yet the market is likely to go up because we've already had sell-off last year, 25% down peak to trough, anticipating the recession that just continues to look elusive. And I think the argument has nuanced a little bit. It's gone from, you know, the fundamentals are surprisingly strong. They're mixed at worst, but they're stronger than uh, people anticipated. And as a result of that, you know, we're starting to get this no landing argument and just like human nature, we, we just always go to worst case outcomes. So it seems like everybody, or at least today, people are jumping to the conclusion if the fundamentals are stronger, that means that inflation will be higher and hotter and the Fed's going to have to continue to raise and that's going to cause a hard landing. I don't know why we have to jump to those conclusions. You can have stronger than expected economy And yet inflation continue to calm as these supply chain bottlenecks that were driven by pandemic and unusual circumstances continue to ease. So why can't you have improving productivity, falling inflation, which is the evidence of the day right now, and a little bit stronger economy? And and therefore, you know, to me, that signals uh, recovery and and healthy movement from here, not and, not worst case like people jump to. No, I like it. It's gold. Not a lot of people are talking about Goldilocks right now. But when you look at the way energy prices have fallen and the site, you know, they trade, they punch way above their weight in terms of uh, psychological value, headline inflation, all the rest of it. And that's really come down. Um, let me ask you the question this way. Um, 
a question yeah. from Lee J, one of our viewers, who says, if all of this is the case, why is the market still trading at 18 times? In other words, it's not exactly a bargain right now, given what he says, the macro headwinds and how earnings have come in. He says, I'm baffled. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that there's no reason to think valuation um, can stay at a you know, slightly higher or much higher level than is, is average. So let's say that over the last five, 10 years, it's been somewhere around 16 times is the average. We're slightly elevated. Um, and you know, I think that they contracted from 22 times, which were way higher than where we're at right now, because rates rose last year. Maybe it wasn't because of you know, fear of earnings slowdown and recession. It was simply that we got PE multiple contraction as rates uh, came up right. and inflation rose. Perhaps they can not only stay at these levels, but elevate a bit from here to that 19, 20 times level hmm. if inflation stays under control and the fundamentals are okay. I don't see any reason why PEs would have to collapse if inflation is trending better and price pressure is getting better, the margin pressure is easing. That, to me, would say we could sustain these PE levels or maybe even you know, see them expand just a little bit. Maybe not back to 22 times. Maybe that was too rich. But somewhere between where we are and, and that point. Oh, that's That's how I would look I, at Again, it. Jeff, this is why I love you. Not many people are going to come on right now and argue for multiples expanding in this kind of environment. <laughs> so let me give you one more from uh, Kang, one of our viewers, who says the market basically ignored the Fed in 2022 and got smacked. You know, they, why would they do that again? And we see this today. We just talked about it this with Steve, where they're finally going, OK, maybe we are taking rates over 5% by the end of the year. If that all plays out, how do you feel about stocks in the meantime? Well, our base case is built in with Fed funds somewhere around five and a quarter, which would be a couple more 25 basis point hikes. And I think we have to put things in perspective again. You know, I, I'm not a, a raging bull here. I just think that we could see upside after a 25 percent peak to trough correction uh, last year. And, you know, people, again, they jump the worst case. They, I hear comments like, oh, my God, the Fed has this is unprecedented what the Fed has done. And yeah, you know, we have gone from zero to five-ish in Fed funds, but what was unprecedented was zero. We were at zero. We're only going back to normal. So, you know, as uh, Muhammad Alarian comes on and talks about the new normal years ago, which was a brilliant kind of spin on things, you know, we're going back to the old normal. We're just going back to normal and people are freaking out. <laughs> and I just think you need a little more poise and patience um, to, to see that it's not as bad as, as folks think. And in fact, the market trades on trend, not on absolutes. Um, and if you don't believe that, think of 2009 when the market was up 30% while earnings cratered 47% and we were losing 500,000 jobs a month. Right. And yet the market was up. And, and that's all I'm saying. The logic should unfold. The, the market cares about where we're trending not where we're at. And no, I think that we're moving in a better direction. I, I hope, listen, 09 would be an interesting corollary because it was coming out of the recession, where I think everyone's still focused on the behavior going into it. But again, t I appreciate the counterpoint. So many names here, uh, just to kind of illustrate, because yeah. fundamentally you're a stock picker. We don't really have time for this, but I just want people to know, you're looking at a Tesla right now. You're looking at a five below, Planet Fitness, Starbucks. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things here. Timus, that's been a, a battleground stock all of a sudden. So um, there is, 
regardless, but we just needed the top level, I, I think, uh, argument on a day like this, Jeff, and you absolutely delivered. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me. All right. Thank, thank Jeff you, Krempelman with Mariner Wealth. Keep your questions coming, by the way. We'll sprinkle them in all week long. And coming up, Mark Zuckerberg announcing the rollout of a new subscription service, Meta Verified, they're calling it. It's pretty pricey. Is it a must-have? Is it much ado about nothing? Stocks for actually lower today means it's actually outperforming, and the stock has doubled off its recent lows. As we head to break, let's take a look at the Dow heat map as well. We're down more than 600 points across the board. Only two names are positive right now, Walmart being one of them to its credit, Procter & Gamble the other, Home Depot's the worst, Intel second worst, Disney third worst. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to The Exchange. We're just off session lows. The Dow is briefly down more than 600 points, and the Nasdaq is lower by 2% right now. We'll check on mega cap tech. We're seeing some pressure here, especially from the Chinese Internet names, EVs, and all the rest of it. But we are seeing pretty much market-like declines here with Amazon, pretty much the worst performer, almost 3% down today. Microsoft not spared either with a 2% decline. Let's get to Tyler Matheson now for a CNBC News update. Tyler? Okay, Kelly, thank you very much, and good afternoon, everybody. Russia's foreign minister says Moscow will respect the caps on nuclear weapons in the New START treaty, even though President Putin suspended Russia's participation in the last remaining arms control agreement with the United States. Last fall, Russia refused to resume the treaty's mutual site inspections that had been suspended since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, 13 days after the train derailment that released toxic chemicals and fumes, the EPA is taking control of the cleanup in East Palestine, Ohio. Instead of allowing Norfolk Southern to voluntarily handle the decontamination efforts, the EPA will require it to do so under a plan approved by the agency, and the railroad will be forced to pay for everything. We will hear what Norfolk Southern has to say when CEO Alan Shaw does a first-on-CNBC interview with, Nor with uh, Closing Bell Overtime. That airs at 4 o'clock Eastern, Alan Shaw of Norfolk Southern. And in New Orleans, the parades started early this morning to celebrate Mardi Gras on the day before Christians observed the start of Lent. You know what that means? It means that a lot of what they consume there today will not be consumed come tomorrow. Kelly. Indeed. Tyler, thank you. I'll see you soon. Still ahead, travel spending is quite strong. Wyndham beating on the top and bottom line, and they're still betting big on China, even as tensions continue to rise. We'll talk about all of it with the CEO next. And speaking of earnings, Beat shares of Molson Coors higher today on stronger than expected results. Three, nearly 4% rise in this kind of market. Maybe beer really is recession proof. We're back after this.
Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts uh, down a little today, but up about 7% to start the year. The world's largest hotel franchise are reporting strong earnings last week with revenue per available room up 20% from 2021. Here now in an Exchange exclusive is Jeff Bellotti, Wyndham Hotels and Resorts CEO. Jeff, it's great to see you again. Welcome. Thank you, Kelly, and great to be back. You know, <laughs> so you, you do juxtapose well with the Home Depots, the Walmarts of the world, uh, the retail sales report, because it seems as though people who are confused by, by spending trends need to look no further than the hotel uh, and travel area to see the strength right now. I mean, is that consistent? Have you seen any drop off lately? Absolutely, positively, Kelly, nothing keeping our middle class guests from traveling. Demand has been accelerating. You just uh, you just said it. Our RevPAR was up 20% to last year, 50% internationally, 12% domestically, and our business had fully recovered by the middle of 2021, which is pretty incredible if you think about that. And so to think that we were up again 12% over last year, which was the best year our franchisees had ever seen in 21 for the full year of 2022, and to see it continue to accelerate from a from a very very strong fall to a stronger winter and, and what looks like the early signs of a strong spring through the middle of the first quarter 2023 we're up uh, 6% uh, versus last year and we're up double digit to where we are back in 2019 and we just think that the middle class is in great shape whether it's low unemployment as your guests have been talking about whether it's strong wages whether it's significant savings, whether it's Steve Leisman this morning on Squawk talking about the consumer spend data, which is just so encouraging. Sure. People are planning further ahead. They're hoping they don't get locked out as they have before, uh, like last year for their vacations. And our booking windows are increasing. So and it's interesting what you say because it jibes a little bit with that nominal. You know, I, I take what you say, OK, 6% gain is kind of an NGDP proxy and go, OK, maybe the top line's still there. What I don't know, Jeff, and I don't know if, if you can know either, but is so and this is one hypothesis going around now. Are people extending or overextending to travel right now? They may go, I haven't had a trip in three years. So if I have to charge it on my card or if I have to, you know, pull back in other areas or maybe lower gasoline prices offering. So they go, however, I have to make this happen. I am taking this trip and, you know, to heck with the consequences. I mean, do you see any of that happening? Well, we, we certainly see that happening with this hybrid work in, environment that everybody's talking about. We're seeing our consumers, our customers, our middle income guests driving further, driving further than they ever have, staying longer than ever because they're they're ranking travel and getting away higher than they are anything else with their significant savings, which, as we continue to hear, are still there. So if you were to describe your concerns, do they run more in the, the sort of profit margin tight labor market direction or do they run more in the slowdown Area. In other words, if you're saying, look, there's no signs yet of this kind of you know, problematic economy everyone's warning about. So then that brings us back to what's the labor market like? Well, our, look, we're the world's largest hotel franchising company. We don't own, we don't manage, we franchise. And our franchisees are feeling better than they ever have. They, they, they are more well capitalized than they've ever been. They're looking to build more deals. We just had a record development year where we opened over one hotel each and every day. We are the, the number of deals we signed increased by 35 percent in 2022. Franchisees, small business owners believe that there has never been a better time right now because we're just starting a new cycle. And so much of our business, 70, 80 percent of its uh, leisure 
20% of it is, is that infrastructure business. And, and that will be such a large tailwind. Wow. Our, our business travelers are, are travelers who wear boots and hard hats. They're, as you know, traveling more frequently than ever. We have seen seven consecutive quarters of infrastructure spend pick up. Our infrastructure business, which was up 15% in the third quarter, sure. was up over 20% in the fourth quarter. And we know that those roads and bridges and ports, that work has really not yet started. And that's just gonna continue to pick up and fuel travel in the economy in the mid-scale segments that we operate in. That's exactly what your colleague Pat Patius told us last week. They're seeing the same benefit. And many uh, of our guests have commented or, or viewers have commented on the fact that is the fiscal almost fighting the Fed because so much stimulus from these projects is now coming in while we're trying to tighten. Final question. I'm going to see if your smile uh, goes down at all on this one. But I, I got to ask you about China, where you guys have made a huge bet and where we've had, you know, kerfuffles over these balloons and, you know, the, all, all of these kinds of problems about uh, diplomatic relations. Um, do you feel as enthusiastic about being in China for the next 10 years as you were maybe for the past decade? I, I will keep smiling. I will keep smiling. China represents two, three percent of our earnings. But if you just look at the last three weeks of China, our rev par was up 60 percent to last year, but it was up 30% to 2019. Now you could argue that that was Chinese New Year and that everybody had the same pent up demand. They're here feeling here in the States and they just wanted to get out. But to see what, what made me smile more than anything was Smith Travel Research come out just last Wednesday and say in a clean wake versus 2019, China Revpar was back to where it was in 2019. Hmm. I think made us all with hotels in China feel very good about that, that economy. And again, over there, we're, we're adding units. Uh, we added 10% in terms of the, the, the number of rooms we added in our direct franchising business over there. So, yes, I'll keep smiling. Our teams <laughs> over there are doing a great job, and we're very, very optimistic. All right. I, you know, I, I couldn't break you this time, but uh, no, but I, I always appreciate the data points, Jeff. Truly, we do. Thank you uh, for bringing that to us and, and always uh, giving us a, a real view of what's going on. Thanks Jeff Bellotti, CEO of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. Still ahead, we're sticking with the theme. TJX expecting a pretty rough quarter for home goods. Toll Brothers has only missed twice on earnings in the past five years. And near-term options in Coinbase imply a 21% move either way on earnings. We're going to have the action, the story, and the trade on all three names in Earnings Exchange next. Welcome back. Let's get to a rapid fire edition of Earnings Exchange today, if I can call it that. We'll get the action, the story and the trade on three names that are about to report. And we're going to start with TJX before the bell tomorrow. Stock on pace for its worst month since last June. The street watching for comps, especially at home goods. It's pushing to e-commerce, whether it can grow in a slowing economy. Shares have been up three out of the last four reports. Let's get to the trades with Gina Sanchez. She's chief market strategist at Lido Advisors and a CNBC contributor. Welcome, Gina. You a buyer of TJX? So actually, I am a buyer of TJX. I think it's interesting. One of the things that we know is that the, uh, you know, tales of the demise of retail have been much exaggerated. And we've definitely seen uh, the retail sales number bounce in January. Um, and you've seen actually a huge run up in the whole retail space. Now, TJ Maxx is one of these names. It is definitely um, one that will benefit. If we are indeed going into a slowdown, cheaper is better. TJ Maxx is at the bottom of that spectrum. You know, the big challenge for them was getting, uh, you know, getting inventory, mm -hmm. but they're past that right now. So we're really looking for TJX to do well. 
All right. One U.S. comps are thinking 1.2 percent. Home goods maybe down eight and a half percent. We've seen that whole area of the market already being hit, maybe already priced in, too. Uh, Gina, we'll move on to Toll Brothers then in that case. After the bell this afternoon, the luxury home builder down 2 percent today and having its worst month since August. Lots of Twitter questions today about the housing market, including from Sherwood Lumber's uh, Kyle Little, asking if today's existing home sales data means the bottom is in for the housing market. Gina, Toll, what do you think? You know, look, I don't I I like the housing market, actually, despite uh, in rising interest rates, because we are in a housing shortage. Toll Brothers, however, is in a tough space. They were selling affordable luxury. And if there's one space that's going to get slammed, it's there because there you have buyers that are reaching to the edge of what they can afford and they need to finance. That is not a good combination. So I think Toll Brothers is probably going to have some wood to chop from here. Interesting, because some people would say I want to stick with the higher end, but you see it differently. I like that. The P.E., by the way, back over 6.6. So then that brings us to Coinbase out this afternoon. As we said, options looking for maybe more than 20 percent move. Uh, they're on a tear to start the year up nearly 80 percent on the back of rebounding crypto prices. Street watching for any signals crypto winner is thawing out. Fallout from FTX scandal as well. Diversifying revenue streams. Business model. Gina, are you a buyer of the stock? Look, this is a tough one to love. They're going to be down 77% on revenue if they just meet expectations. Wow. Now, yes, crypto winner might be thawing. We have actually seen um, we have actually seen a recovery uh, in in Bitcoin, but I don't think. But we're still way below highs, and this is an area that doesn't do well in, quite frankly, evaporating liquidity. And that's exactly what's happening. We are seeing we are seeing liquidity just going right out the door. And without that, you're not going to get flows. It doesn't matter what Coinbase tries to do, whether they try to move to subscription model, which is what they're trying to do. They're cutting feet. They're cutting their workforce. I have never seen a company cut into greatness. Hmm. Uh, so it'll be really hard um, to, to be uh, excited about the space. And, you know, Coinbase may do what it can to survive, which is, I think, what they're trying to do. But until we know what's happening in the regulatory space in the U.S., yeah. That's a big question mark right now. All right, Gina, a buyer of one of these, a seller of the other two. Uh, Gina Sanchez, thank you. We always appreciate it. Thank you for your time today. Still ahead, have you always wanted a blue check on your Instagram account, but you're not a celebrity or an influencer? It can be yours now if you're willing to pay up for it. We'll debate that move next. Welcome back to the exchange. Meta taking a page from the likes of Twitter and Snap, rolling out a paid subscription service for users who want verified accounts. Julia Borson's got the details. Julia? That's right, Kelly. It's testing Meta Verified for creators and influencers. This new service includes account verification, impersonation protections, and access to account support, plus more visibility for those accounts. Now, this service is set to start in Australia and New Zealand for a monthly fee of $12 on the web and $15 on mobile, with plans to roll it out more broadly from there. Now, B of A projects the potential for 12 million subscribers by the end of this year, which they say would yield $1.7 billion dollars in high margin revenue in 2024 and up to an incremental 3% bump in earnings per share. Now, Meta is joining Snap, Twitter and Discord in working to generate revenue from some of their most devoted and perhaps high profile creators. Kelly. Hmm. All right, Julia, stay with us for more on what this could mean. Let's bring in Angler contributor Sean McNulty. 
Um, so, Sean, to, okay, 12 million, you take the over or under on those subscribers? <laughs> End of year, uh, I'm going under, but, uh, you know, Snap has, you know, launched Snap Plus for $4 a month. In six months, they'd got 2 million. Hmm. You know, Facebook and Meta's, uh, you know, uh, base is a lot larger, obviously, but, you know, Twitter has been rumored to have, uh, Twitter Blue is reported about 200,000 in the U.S. in two months. So, Twelve billion is a little ambitious for a product that costs you, if it, the U.S. pricing, if it maintains in the U.S. to twelve dollars a month, it seems ambitious to me. But the B of A analysts, you know, may have a better insight than what, I do. Sean, there. what do you think is really going on here? <laughs> it's a company that made twenty-three billion dollars in net profit or net income last year. It's not a great look. Uh, you know, it's it's a classic. You know that uh, Meta makes all their their money in advertising. Ninety-nine percent of the revenue is advertising. You're looking for other levers. It's advertising or subscription, and this is almost 20 years into the company. They're finally pulling subscription. I, you know, uh, sure. I guess it's money left on the table per se, and they think they can make some money off of it. But it's odd for a company that it's it's not great, a great time for them. But the stock is back up to over 170. So it's a little bit of a question mark for me, uh, you know, Kelly. Julia, give us some hypotheses. What do you think this is about? This is all about diversifying the revenue stream and the fact that if this works, it could be a win-win. They would get the people who really rely on Instagram and Facebook to connect with their fans, perhaps even people like journalists, the same sort of target audience for the Twitter checkmark, Twitter verified um, service. So to get them to pay to make sure that if there is a problem, that they're going to they're gonna be able to reach someone on Instagram to help them out and that they would have this additional element of monitoring so they don't have to worry about their account being hacked. So they're to get these sort of devoted, um, smaller group of people who are, would be willing to pay that monthly fee. And then if that works, not only are they generating a new revenue stream, but they'd also be able to sort of improve the overall quality and authenticity on the platform. I think it's really interesting that you'd have to upload a government ID in yeah. order to be able to get your identity verified. So they're, they're serious about making this your real identity. And Kelly, this goes back to the early days of Facebook when they said they want you to come on Facebook as yourself. Twitter, you could put up an alias, but they really want this to be who you really are. And I think that's a big part of trying to make sure that their creative creator community, which is, you know, growing and yeah. certainly a big piece of this, um, is, is represented authentically. Quick final comment, Sean. You know, it doesn't risk turning people off. I mean, it's a bit of an admission of, hey, if you want better service, you have to pay for it because we can't provide it for free. And also to, to take your most dependable users, your most loyal users, and say, we're going to charge you for the privilege of having you on our platform. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and Julia's points are, are correct. If you can get money out of your businesses that are on there, great. But as we all know, not a great time for small business right now. This is hundred, basically $150 a year charge on top of this that you weren't used to paying for. And it's a free product. Like it's, you know, it's had 19 years of being free. When you go to paid, you know, you never know what the reaction is going to be when your product doesn't have that reputation with your users. So yeah. there is value there. But is it $12 a month? We'll see if the price point holds. You have any concerns about giving your government issued ID over, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> I should uh, at this point. But, uh, you know, the amount of people who probably have it by now, I, uh, <laughs> Kelly, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm with you. No, I, I'm like the worst example of, of carry. I mean, it's just I, I just I throw my hands up. It's just I, it's all out there. Uh, guys, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Our Julia Borston and Sean McNulty. Got to draw your attention to markets, everybody. We're creeping up towards 4% on that 10-year. And stocks are creeping to session lows, down more than 600 points. We've got a whole lot more on today's sell-off and where to put your money to work coming up on Power Lunch. There's Tyler Matheson getting ready. Might set his hair on fire if we hit 4%. I'll join him on the other side of this quick break.
Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.